What's up, guys? Welcome back to the EG Pod Thunder with your boy, the young, light-skinned Key Sweat. And to my right, my guy, Jonathan Milano, has returned once again, the multi-million dollar real estate agent from Rhode Island and also licensed in Connecticut and... Massachusetts. Let's get Rhode it, Mass, Connecticut, and hopefully soon Florida. Oh, that will be... He'll come back on for that once he's licensed. He has been a returning guest. I love it, my guy. And he has brought together... He has brought me how I met this guy, my guy right here, the real Rick Rigo. He has built over 300 houses all across the world, mostly based in Rhode Island, Connecticut, and Florida, right? So Florida's yep. the big spot for you? Massachusetts also. And Massachusetts. Both Massachusetts here. And this is, has, um, since the minute I met you, I've been fascinated because I've always been intrigued in the real estate world, and especially um, new builds. New builds is something that um, I think a lot of people tuning into this may not be, you know, didn't have a lot of uh, knowledge on, which is why we brought you on because if someone wants knowledge, this is why the real Rick Rigo, the real Rick Rigo is here. So how do you even get? Yeah, there's a tongue twister right there. So just 300 houses, that's a whole lot of houses. So how that even get started from the first place? How was like that first one come about? How was someone get into the game? The first house was in 2003 in Providence. Um, Shotgun Ranch. So I was doing a lot of fix and flips. And what I, year was this? 2003. Yeah, 2003. So I was living in Florida. I was doing a lot of uh, fixer uppers in Florida up to 2002. So I came to, back to Rhode Island, originally where I'm from. So in 2003, I had done a couple of fixer uppers and I decided that I want to get into new construction. So I just put on my two belt with my buddy Louis Tavares, giving him a shout out there. And we Louis. did our first shotgun ranch together. It took us about four months and i kind of learned from start to finish the whole project you know everything was the first project um a, a full gut or the first pro- no <laughs> no the first project it was literally like a uh in some flooring <laughs> I, di- <laughs> I didn't know what was going on you know little by little i started you know growing you know but eventually when i got comfortable i started doing the bigger projects so for people that's tuning in now, maybe like I said, novice into this industry, into real estate, because like we said before, when John's been on, real estate is something everybody wants to get into. Everybody thinks they're the new top shot guy. Or they think they're going to start off the first flip or new build right off the bat. They're going to be you know, the next multi-millionaire owning all these homes. Mm-hmm. So that being said, so this wasn't your first like your first steps into the real estate game. You said, so you're doing flips beforehand. Yeah, yeah. I started very, very early. Uh, early than I like. <laughs> <laughs> so how early was that? So I guess so. I am the original uh, guy who bought the first house when he was 17 years old. You know, and that was in Florida. It was in Green Acres. Is that even legal? Uh, Here you go. Well, you know. <laughs> can we go into this? It, it, yeah, we can go into it. It, it was, um, I, was I was 17. It was three months before my 18th birthday. I bought this house in June of 1988. It was 200 uh, Martin Avenue, Green Acres, Florida. I don't forget that because, like, you don't forget your first kiss. <laughs> and uh, I bought it. It was a foreclosure from the government. And it ended up being a nightmare. I was young. I didn't tell my parents what I was doing. I did it with another buddy of mine who was only 19 at the time. And um, long story short, the property that we bought was a condemned piece of property. 
She's uh, well. First off, most people are sneaking out the house. They're trying to go to their girlfriend's house. They're sneaking their girl in through the window. He's sticking the house through. This guy's <laughs> buying the house to bring the girl into. So that being said, so like first of all, like I said, most people are literally going to high school parties. They're you know playing football. They're in the track team. How did you even get into that in the first place? Like, why was your mindset to you know not be doing the typical thing at seventeen? How's that the even on your mind? I mean, I think I'm ambitious person deep down inside mr john is too but in my head at least i can speak for myself i was not thinking about purchasing a home no so how did that even come across your like your vision your board at that time uh, before i moved to florida with my parents uh right around the age of about 13 14 my stepfather got in you know was a real estate guy and uh he did a lot of foreclosures uh fixing flips um and then he got into the new construction also so on weekends after you know weekends or after school i'd go down to the um job site grab a broom and actually just sweep you know sawdust pick up two by fours so when i was doing that and i saw the money that my stepfather was making i'm like i know what i want to do mm -hmm. this is it so i couldn't do it at 14 i couldn't do it at 15 i couldn't do it at 16 so right around uh close to my 17th birthday we decided to move to florida my parents were like you know what it's time to get out of here so we moved on to west palm beach and I would look at the paper, right? Today you don't look at paper, but at the end of the paper you see the classifieds, and on the age right now. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's like, "What's a paper?" Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I saw this ad for like um, uh, foreclosure lists, and and they would literally send you a foreclosure list, and uh, and that's how it started. Every Friday I'd go to the mailbox, grab that foreclosure list, look down, and uh, and that's where I spotted my first property. It was only five hundred dollars down. Government Sheesh. VA foreclosure. Back then, you didn't have to be a VA. You could anybody could buy it. They'd give a thirty-day option to the guys who were VA, and after that, they would shoot it out to the public market. Just so everyone you know, I don't want to lose anybody who's listening to this. So, could you guys just uh, explain? I guess John, this since he's the real estate agent on this, what is a foreclosure opposed to like uh, yes, foreclosure? Some people may not know what that is. Foreclosed homes and the classifieds. Of course. So at a real high level, uh, foreclosure is basically a bank-owned property. Somebody couldn't pay their mortgage, bank took it over and put it up on the market um, for people to either stop bidding on it to get it sold. So is that process quick? So <laughs> back in the day, classifieds. I'm sure it took a little bit longer process, obviously, because not straight up on Zillow or MLS or anything like that nowadays. So, so I guess compared to then and compared to now, how is that process for foreclosures? So I think Rick can actually add to this a little bit because he was part of the process where things did get um, pushed quicker. But um, it, it used to take. Oh, wait, no, I'm thinking about something else. Yeah, about foreclosures, foreclosures in Florida uh, back in the late 80s, when I remember, uh, they take about a year, year and a half. Oh, wow. right. yeah. oh I thought they were. So I was thinking. Rapid speed. No, no, it was quick. No, um, government, government uh, um, because what happens is when, when you have something that is. Um, uh, a foreclosure by the VA, FHA, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, HUD. Uh, that's yeah, all. This, so, what's like the difference between all those? So, VA, well, Fannie Mae. So, the yes. listeners. They were just different programs, different okay. government programs. So, uh, a VA usually was for someone that was in the VA. FHA was usually a first time home buyer. Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac really don't know too much about those loans, but they had a lot of them. I don't think they're even in business today. I think the, Freddie, the, the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac is out. You don't even hear those names anymore. They, they just change how they yeah, go I'm, about I'm doing assuming, the loans. Yeah, so, so, you know, when you got a foreclosure list, 
Um, remember, this is back in the late 80s. We didn't even have beepers. Beepers wasn't introduced until like 1990. <laughs> yes, uh, there, there was no, no one's going to know yes, that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, so this was something like I had to grab the Randy McNally, which was like a page where you'd find the address and you'd drive by the house and look at it and get home and literally call the agent from your whole phone. Or you'd put a quarter in the... <laughs> that's not that Asian nowadays. Uh, you have that today. A payphone. That's like a Could photo put a picture of a payphone like right here. <laughs> I'll, I'll put. I'll put it. This a beeper. This yeah, right we got to put the beeper in there too. This beeper and this. Um, I'm blanking the name. So I'll Asian myself out right now. But the uh, payphones are literally like a photo op now. People see those. It's like they like pose with it. Yeah, that's an like yeah. Instagram picture. Yeah. But um, yeah. So the foreclosure process. I just want to make sure no one's getting lost in the process. He's saying that. BAs and the process of uh, in Florida, so yeah, it gets to that point. Yeah. I mean, they're everywhere in the country, mm -hmm. but you know, today you don't have as many foreclosures as we did back in the late '80s. Oh no! Keep in mind, when I got into real estate, you know, in '88, we just had that that the um, stock market crash in '89. That's when all the interest rates started rising and all that. Mm -hmm. So I was that was when I got into it. So and again, we didn't have investors clubs, or you can look for people online. We had none of that. So I was kind of by myself out there. This was 88, 89? Yeah, yeah. So 88, 89, you yeah. moved down to Florida. 86, I moved down to 87, 86, 87, moved to Florida. In 88, I bought my first house. 88, so how long did the process take? So she said that was a foreclosure. You were calling, you were making the rounds. You found that condemned property. We'll get into that yeah. right now. But so you, you saw it, you liked it, obviously. That's why you had gotten it. So you're reaching out to an agent and then... Yeah. Called you the agent. Called the agent. Then how the long agent. did that process? Was it like about a year? Um, so no. So once I called the agent, I told him I was interested in the property. Um, the property was forty-one or forty-two thousand dollars with a five hundred dollar payment. Okay, it was a two-family with a cottage, so it was actually three units. Um, so Imagine. I got into it for five hundred. Closing costs were really cheap back then. I think. To walk into this house, I probably had a little over a thousand dollars out of my pocket. That's nuts. But well, how would you compare that to now? So, what would that you know, inflation would that be? Is oh, that, that still that, a that's deal? That's probably. Um, yeah, it's a deal. I mean. Oh hell yeah. Yeah, it's a deal. You know, it doesn't cost today about seven yeah. grand, eight grand. Again, I again remember when I got into this thing, I got, I got a, a little bit more than I could chew because it was something more than I uh, I could handle. It mm -hmm. was just a really big fixer upper and. Uh, <laughs> and when I found out it was condemned, that's when I had to kind of go home and tell my parents. I, <laughs> not only did I buy a house, I got myself into trouble where it was a condemned property. So how did you find out it was a condemned property? I was painting the house one day after school, <laughs> and this, this uh, city vehicle pulls up. It was a nice southern man. He comes out, kind of looks like my grandpa a little bit. <laughs> and he's like, you know, with that, that southern accent, y'all, you, know, you know, and I'm like, uh-oh. And he's like, uh is your dad around? I'm like, no, my dad's not here. He's like, uh, son, you know, and he's going into the details with me and he's telling me the house is condemned. I didn't even know what it meant. Yes, yeah, so for those who probably don't, who are listening, who may not know what it means, what is a condemned property? Condemned property is a property that the city uh, looks at it as it's unsafe and it's going into uh, usually a teardown or a knockdown. And um, when I bought the property, I guess they were doing that, again, because they didn't have internets and all that. That paperwork kind of got lost. It never made it to, to the um, the recording. Yeah, the recording. So when I had closed on it, the title was still clean on it. Oh wow! Yeah, title was clean. So you don't see that happen often. Nowadays. Not today because today things are quick. Yeah, you, you know you can record things literally online. Back so, then, you had to Pony Express it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's going on with that point? Are you getting your money back? Are you just no? Well, well, it? I didn't know what to do. You know, that's when I went home and I told my parents that, hey, you know, in one hand, I bought this house, and they're like looking at me like, you know, like I'm telling stories, and in another hand, I'm like, 
now I'm in trouble because the house is condemned. So after they kind of like sat down and, and figured this all out, the first thing that my dad, my stepfather told me was like, we gotta get a lawyer. And that's what we did. We ended up getting a Palm Beach lawyer involved. And that was another story, going, going in there, sitting down you. with this lawyer and telling them that I bought this house at 17 and it's condemned. And, you know, he's telling me, hold on, he's getting another attorney into the room so he can hear the story because they're like, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> it's a movie, literally like a movie. So I told him what happened and uh, they kind of looked at each other and they smiled and said, don't worry about nothing. We're going to take care of this. And, uh, and here I am getting a lawsuit against the United States government <laughs> at, at the age of 17. The United States versus the yeah, real uh, Rick Rigo. VA, and this is, all, this is all public information in Palm Beach County uh, court records. Um, and, uh, and here we are. You know, we never got to sue them because once my attorney sent them the demand letter, they were so embarrassed. They're like, just whatever it is, whatever we got to do, just make this happen. 20 lots in Miami South Beach right no, now. No, I, I, I didn't get what, that what lucky. What did you end up doing? What I did was they wiped out my name from the pre-foreclosure because I was going to get foreclosed because I hadn't gone months without making a payment because it took a few months. Right. It took a few months. So um, they cleared my name. They gave me back all my money. They gave me back the money that I spent on painting and, and you know everything that I had, which was probably three dollars $4,000. <laughs> so, uh, and then they magically just made everything go away. Oh, what's the odds the of that? The right. odds of the and, government. And you go in the courthouse, you'll see the letter from the VA stating that that, that we came to a uh, an agreement. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm back out. Now, a lot of people would probably get scared and not want to continue anymore in their real estate short career. Not me, man. Not me. I was like, let's do it again. <laughs> the second time worked out pretty good. How old are you at the second one? Uh, about 19. I, okay. Yeah, I, I waited about a year or so. Okay. And then I ended up getting another one, that was a, which was a FHA foreclosure uh, villa. It was a villa in the same city, Green Acres, town of Green Acres. And, uh, and I started making a little bit of money. Were your parents aware of this one? Oh, yeah, they were. And I, and I, <laughs> I was legal age, too. <laughs> I was legal age. So second one, you're saying that it's a better story. So how did the, like you said, a lot of people, that would scare majority of people away. But no, you inspired you to, you know, what do you think the inspiration of that was? Like, you know, speaking of the, you yourself in that moment, why didn't that scare you away at all? Why did that you know, drive you to get a second one, especially that quickly right after? I just, I believed it. You know, I believed in real estate. I saw that a lot of people back then were getting wealthy with real estate, you know, financial freedom. And um, I just had to be a little bit more cautious and also have a little bit more experience under my belt, you know. And mm -hmm. I felt that at 17, I didn't, and, and, and to go into a lawsuit with the United States government, Department of, of VA, um, you know, I thought, uh, listen, it wasn't that easy. I, I stayed up at night. I, I couldn't go back to high school. I had to finish my high school at home. So it took, yeah, it, it took a toll on me uh, knowing that, you know, I was facing a foreclosure. It, it was serious. No, I didn't know what to do. I mean, why didn't they let you go back to school? I didn't. I, I decided that. Oh, you know, okay. That was like part of yeah, like the... I, I was staying up all night, you know, worried and all that. Oh, jeez. Um, yeah. So my parents decided that I should finish high school at home the last year. So what did you learn from the first one for, that you applied to the second He's one? He's the first COVID student. <laughs> I, I'd say just do, definitely do some homework. You know, today is easier to do because back then you'd have to go down to, uh, you know, the courthouse or, or building and zoning and, and pull out information and they had these old index cards. Today you can go online and can get all this information. So um, you have better tools today to, to find out what's going on, you know. Back then you had to really do your homework the old-fashioned way. Mm-hmm. And just the tools, you know, associating yourself with good people, like, um, you know, 
meeting up with John and doing business with John and then John meeting and introducing me to you where I met you. Yeah. You know, just, um, you know, networking, associating yourself with good people is definitely easier nowadays. I'm sure you growing up in the, in the system learning back in the eighties and nineties, you must have some stories where you've been dealing with some, uh, sketchy characters. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I've had a little bit of everything, you know, um, you just, you know, every deal is different, you know, and you got the good ones, you got the bad ones, you know, yes, the first one, bad one, second one's a good one. Is there any good story of the second one, or we should move on to like a little bit more down the timeline? No, at that point, I kind of, I kind of had the 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 idea. I mean, I was still learning. Again, these pro, these first houses that I bought at 19, 20, 21, they didn't need a lot of work. You know, mm-hmm. it was paint and cleanup. You know, I just didn't have the experience or the knowledge to get into the big stuff. I didn't think I got into the big stuff until probably my early twenties. That's when I got into tiles and floors and windows and roofs and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what's like the, so the progression? You're doing a couple instead of painting and stuff like that. Yeah. So you're making okay money, but not great money. So yeah. that was the was that the like inspiration to jump to the next step? Yeah. What what happened was I, I would you know I was doing this uh, a fixer upper for an example. I would do a fixer upper and we'd put about two three months into it, and I just felt the profit margins down in South Florida were very uh, weak. You know, I'd probably make fifteen twenty thousand dollars. People are saying, "Wow, that's a lot of money." But if you take the three months cost of time without me working anything else, mm-hmm. and you break it down, it's a pretty good paycheck. So I got I had to figure out how to make more money. You know, how to make that one hundred thousand plus. And uh, and I was having a hard time doing that in Florida. They just didn't. Have, the margins were were not there. So things changed when I moved back to Rhode Island, you know. Just, um, you know, you said you're about to get your license in Florida. Is that still the case nowadays? Has it, you know, grown better in this uh, market? That's going to be another Rick question. I know nothing about Florida at this time. Oh, has, has it grown yeah, better? Yeah, uh, Florida today is better than it was. Remember, when I moved to Florida, I hate to say this, but there was a lot of trailer parks. Um, it Where I was, it felt like it was like, a lot old i mean older crowd like mm-hmm. people that were like in his 70s and it had nothing to do with me today that florida it's not that it doesn't exist that area where i was doing this just blew up mm-hmm. okay? today you have a lot of transit people you have people from new york all over mm-hmm. not only america all over the world so today is different florida florida today is different from the florida of the mid to late 80s so today is different Back better. in the day, better. And you're, yeah. So back in the day, those investors were kind of predicting the future. Do you think that's a common trend right now? Uh, right before you guys went, we went live. I heard you guys discussing like stuff in Rhode Island and things along those lines. Being an investor, do you have to kind of have that vision for the future and not the now? And the, you know, we kind of jump around the timeline. We'll get back to it when you're beginning. But just on topic, do you think you need to like kind of, uh, try to uh, predict the future and see for these new builds oh you know in 10 to 15 years the city's gonna be like this opposed to right now yeah i I see florida just growing that's why i see florida it's funny because when i was living there i started seeing the growth from miami and and palm beach because you got three counties there you got uh broward county i'm sorry dade county broward county and palm beach county and you got martin county and then then the keys is i believe they called uh not bravada's up more Monroe County. So all those counties have been growing the last 30 years. Uh, it's to a point where I've noticed that everybody who retires wants to move down to Florida. Anybody who has money who wants a second home is going to Florida. Florida's attracting people from all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, Don't get me wrong. Um, some people don't work out. I've seen U-Haul trucks going on there, and within a year, they're coming back again. 
because it's got that stigma that you just don't get a good job in Florida, a good paying job in Florida. I don't know how it is today, but back then you just didn't have, you, you, you had to get three jobs to, to make a living. Where here you probably just need one, maybe two. Yeah. Would you say, like you said, Miami's still growing and was growing back then? Miami is overgrown, I think. I, I, I don't <laughs> oh, think Florida, they, Florida. I, I, yeah, I don't, th- I, Miami itself, because um, I've lived in North Miami Beach. If you take Miami, uh, like, South Beach and all that, that's all they're doing is they're just putting high-rises everywhere. If you look at downtown Miami, same thing. They're just putting buildings everywhere. So now what's happening is they're expanding up to like the Fort Lauderdale area, uh, Boca, Delray, uh, Boynton. Those areas are now growing, you know, and it's you can see it with the traffic, you know. So he says talking about Florida, John, do you think New England's going to tap point too now? Like even if you want to talk about Rhode Island specifically where certain cities – you know, you're trying to lead maybe your clients to specific areas just because you see their growth potential down the line. So um, technically, we're not allowed to do that. Oh, so. Uh, yeah. Hey, this is what I'm here for. You never know. This is the questions of the host. You can tell the crowd no. the, the, the specifics. We, we are not allowed to direct people in a certain way. Um, however, I do listen to what people are looking for, what they're trying to accomplish and what they're goals are and i help them um come up with a, a decision of what they want for themselves and their family or whatever their goals are as far as an investor and such um so with your question from earlier that to me it's all about balance it's balancing today plus the information from tomorrow along with the information from the past to help them make uh, logical decisions of which direction that they want to go in um or any person that wants to go in but um but yeah it, rhode island the we don't have land like that, like there is in Florida, so we don't see that kind of dynamic right now. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So going back to your story, so did you finally see in the, um, you know, you weren't making the profit you thought you'd be making, so that's when you got into tiling and so, so what's like that? Yeah, that ex- I started taking on properties that needed a lot more work because I figured, you know, that's where you sweat. Yeah, that's where you make money on sweat equity. Mm-hmm. You know, the more you make, you know, the more supposedly the more you're supposed to recoup on the profit. So that's what I did. And I started to see a little better. But, you know, when I came down to back up to Rhode Island and I was looking at the margins here, they were like twice as much. What year was this again? This was going into 2002, 2003. This was right after September 11. Yeah, it was after September 11. Uh, I had gotten divorced. I came back up to be near my daughter. And, um, you know, I was doing some fixer-uppers. And I said, you know what? I want to get into this new construction. I I had this thing. I had to do new construction. So for the entire 1990s, you're doing just the fixer-uppers in in, in Florida. You know, and and I was kind of like, I was kind of like an idiot because I would do one house, make $15,000, $20,000, and not do anything until, like, my money was gone. I'd blow my money, and then I'd go. I, so I would do two, three a year where I should have done, like, one a month. Right. And, and you know, again, that had I had no – not that I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have anybody around me to kind of, like, groups and, and, and you know, and joint ventures. There wasn't a lot of that back there then, There wasn't though. a lot of that. Like we do now. Yeah, like, today, Right now we have bigger have, pockets. Again, this stupid thing called a cellular phone, the smartphone – you can make anything happen. We didn't have that that luxury in 88, 89. Right. So you said you weren't doing joint ventures. So all these properties in the 90s you were doing, that was all by your self-funding? Myself, by myself with getting money from a private investor because um, I, I didn't didn't want to go to the bank and, you know, tax returns and all kinds of, um, you know, legal things. It was easier just to go and get yourself a private mortgage and they would kind of lend you uh, on the property, and, and I'd have to have a little bit of uh, 
you know, a little bit of down payment, you know. Yeah, because I'm sure when people listening to like, oh, this is cool. He's doing flips, you know, for 10 years and then he gets into new build. I think what throws a lot of people off and scares people off are how much money do I need to have in the bank to get into this? So, or like they may think that they need all the money for it. So you just obviously just said you didn't have all the money for it. You're going into a private loan. So what would be the process if someone's interested to start doing flips? They would reach out to who would they reach out to nowadays to do that? If, if, if someone wants to get into a flip, if somebody wants to get into real estate and they're young, they have no credit, they have no experience, they have nothing, you know, um, the easiest and fastest way uh, would be to do a wholesale. You know, find someone who has a piece of property that they want to sell, uh, whatever, they need to sell because of the divorce, uh, they're, they're transferring out of the state, you know, and as long as that property is a wholesale, get that person to, to sell you that property. Uh, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, what am I going to do? Buy a property that I don't have the money? Just get it on the contract, and then at that point, you need to sell that contract. You need to sell someone um, who's looking to buy that house from you uh, without you closing on it. That's the way to make money today. If you got no credit and no money, find a wholesale deal out there. And so what you guys are doing is when you get that contract, you're going out to the next person. So let's say you get the contract at $100,000. You're going over to someone like Rick and saying, hey, Rick, um, I have this property for 100000 but with my wholesale fee on top of that, that's, let's say, 110000 Yeah. Um, so I'll give this to you for 110000 and you sign the contract over to Rick. You remove your name, you get your $10,000, they close, and then you're done. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, so you want to make sure that on the contract, the purchase and sales agreement, when you find a piece of property, like like let's use the $100,000 because it's easy. Mm-hmm. You find something for $100,000, you you put your name on the contract, right? You got the seller, you have the buyer, and you put its assignees. It's very important that you put its assignees so you can assign it to someone else because if you don't, then you have an issue where you're going to have to close on that property. Now, are they putting it on the buyer's line? Yeah, so it would be yeah. like if it was me buying, Jonathan let's say, John's Bono, and it's a signee. And it's a signee. So and now, a and now you can go ahead and you can assign that contract to an investor, uh, anyone who's interested in taking it off your hands. And like Jonathan says, you know, you sell it. Here's an example. This was a 2018. I had done two wholesale deals. Both of them were on the east side of Providence. Uh, and both of them I made 50000 each. So $100,000 doing two wholesale assignments and and a hundred grand you got that hundred grand now the sky's the limit now you can buy a piece of property you can buy land you can build that's how i would start if you take everything away from me now and put me back out there with nothing i'm gonna go look for a wholesale deal i'm gonna look for the guy who needs the money (laughs) hey that all sounds all good and like you said that can get be your start but sounds like a you don't think that can be like too much of like a shot in the dark where why would someone like Rick done over 300 houses? Why would someone listen? Why would someone like that listen to Joe Schmo off the middle of the middle of the street? Hey, I seen Rick Rigo. I seen your Instagram. You look like you're an investor. I have this property for you. You're not asking me, what's your background? Where, how do you get this house? Why would you believe me opposed to someone who is more reputable opposed to someone who's just brand new starting? Can you repeat the question one more time? So why would someone like you, you yep. who's been an investor, yep. 300 plus homes you've made, yep. you're obviously, you have a reputation, people know who you are. Random Joe Schmo off the middle of the street, I get John to give me that property for 100000 You said that's the way to get yep. into the game. Yep. I have no reputation. No one knows who Effie is. I call you, hey, I see you're an investor. I have this property for you. Would you be interested? Why would someone like you with your reputation 
take go on a limb and believe me or do uh, even work with me in the first place oh they don't have to believe you they just need to believe on the property that the property has a value mm -hmm. um so there are wholesales out there that can that you know connect with one another effie you're new to the game no one knows you but guess what you have a contract on a wholesale property that is worth it that's how you're going to close the game with them you know they're going to say hey you know what i don't know you but let's do business and um and they're going to buy that piece of property and they're going to do whatever they got to do with it and you're going to make your you know your reassignment fee and at that point you've, you've established a relationship with that person and, and that's what you do you you kind of grow rhode island's a small state you know right everybody knows everybody in this business you know you think it's harder for me to get the house from john for hundred thousand than to you buy it off me so um, why would John give it a? Well, how would I get it off John first before someone like you comes? John, up Jonathan is a. Let's just say Jonathan is a homeowner who just went through a divorce, right? House needs a lot of work. Ironically, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ironically. So the house needs a lot of work, right? Jonathan doesn't have the money. He doesn't want anything to do with this house. So he's gonna dump it. He's gonna wholesale this thing because he wants to get out of it. He wants to get his money. He wants to give half to his his other half, and he's done with it. So this this is where the opportunity comes. With you're gonna negotiate with Jonathan and you're gonna find an end buyer like me who's gonna go in there who's gonna fix it because you don't have money to fix it and I'm gonna put it back on the market and make a profit so you get your cut you know what I'm saying you get your cut. You're, you're, you're getting a transaction fee for making this happen taking it from him and selling it to me so wholesaling are, are those op options on like Zillow and stuff like that or are they on a different platform um, the way that I find these um, you're driving through a, you're driving down some street. You see a for sale by owner. <laughs> those, those people, yeah. I, I've never known what those people do. Yeah, you know, they just don't want to pay commission because they don't really understand the game. Uh, they screw a house themselves. that's just yeah, beat up. You know, grasses tall, uh, need paints chipping. It seems like you know they're not even living in the house. You know, you look at those opportunities, and there is. You just got to do your homework, man. You got to drive around. You know what I did when I got to Rhode Island? Um, I had taking some of these signs and i said i buy houses and i went to every telephone pole and i just in any every main location and i got a few phone calls from that you know listen you're gonna get 20 30 junk calls but there's always that one that's a treasure you know and that's the one that you want mm -hmm. the one that's gonna make you 20 30 40 50 000, you know on a reassignment fee so now you guys you guys got a inside information on how to get into the game if you have no funds to start off in the real estate game but at that moment in time, you did have some funds. You started getting into flips. And at that point, are you joining with someone else at that point? Because in the 90s, you're doing everything by yourself. So now you're finally getting into new builds. Are Has your mindset changed? Are oh. you venturing someone else? Are you partnering? Are you building a team? How's your first rebuild happen? After my first, um, after the first house that I bought, I believe it was on Edgemere, uh, right off of uh, Manton Avenue, mm -hmm. um, I made like $50,000. I think I, I built the house for like 75. I bought the land for like uh, 20. So I'm into it for 195 and I sell it for like 145. So I make 50,000. So I'm going crazy right now. I'm like, I know what I'm going to do. Um, and at that point, I became a contractor and I started doing business with just about everybody and their mother that was an investor in the state. Some of these investors aren't even alive today, okay? Some of them are not even alive. And, and I was JVing with all these people, man. And again, I'd rather get 10% of something than 100% of nothing. So right. I had all these joint ventures going on, and uh, I did pretty good. By 2005, um, I had established myself uh, not only becoming a millionaire, but I had a nice shopping center that was giving me uh, a really nice um, salary, you know, 
uh, I was making a monthly salary, really nice. So yeah, you, you own know, the just, shopping center. Yeah, uh, the one at the plaza over on Lonsdale Avenue, the Price Right oh, uh, on wow. Lonsdale Avenue. I you built that. Oh, I yes, built it. I owned it, and I sold it in '09, uh, right when the uh, the uh, market crashed. Oh eight, oh nine. So that is a crazy jump. So how do you go from it? Starting in 2003 to two years later in 2005, opening a shopping center. So uh, that sounds like how rapid speed were you working with all these J, J joint ventures? Yeah. I was building literally, I was framing one house a week from 2004 to 2007. I was literally building one house a week. That's how I got to the 300 quick, you know, one house a week. And I was doing it with, uh, you know, the Conleys, everybody knows the, uh, Pat Conley. I was doing it with uh, um, other investors uh, that I knew. Uh, that we had a relationship. So I would be building one or two houses with them, five with this guy, three with this guy. And that's how I, again, getting a little bit of percentage of all of them, that percentage adds up after a while. And <laughs> you can't run away from that. <laughs> I mean, would you, would you recommend that to, to young Rick looking back at yourself now? Oh yeah. Did, was that worth it? Or is that too much on your plate? Are you overloading yourself? I took a beating. I, I did take a beating, but I did have, you know, you're as only as well, good. At least as you a, still have all your hair. Yeah, yeah, and you're, you're only as good as the people there. you had. I had really good people. I had a good project manager. I had a good secretary. I had someone that met and spec. Because remember, you can't do everything at the same time, so you have to make sure you have a good crew that's able to maneuver the things that you can. And that's what I was doing. I was getting a secretary that would actually meet with the inspectors and get the COs and, and, and get the electrical and plumbing and, and building. Everything needed an inspection. I needed to pull permits. I needed to be here. I needed to be there. I needed to order materials. I, I got to keep an eye on the guys. You need a good crew. You know? and, and again, at first, I did, I did it by myself. And as I was growing, I was adding my dream team together. Mm. So how many, if you had to put a number to it in those two years, how many projects do you think you did? So if you do one a week, yeah. 104? Yeah. I, about a, I did about 130, 140 by between 2004 to beginning of a little after 2000, close to 2006. So, and then I kind of took off because um, uh, things started getting slower on 08. You know, um, we had the mortgage meltdown and then new construction ended. Okay. At that point, I kind of just. I was into the game at that point. I was still uh, in school at that moment in time. So why would there be no new? I know there was a crash in 08, but why did that stop new bills completely? Uh, you just had a market flooded, and I, when I say flooded, I mean flooded of real estate properties. You mm -hmm. were literally driving down Providence, any street, and half of the neighborhood was boarded up. Right. It was a. It was a very sad time. They were giving out um, mortgages to anybody back then. Yeah. Um, there weren't a lot of guidelines like there are today, which I think we spoke about with Nick maybe a little bit. But um, they were, I, I say this all the time, they were giving uh, mortgages out to babies, grand, great, great, great grandmothers, yeah. uh, baby giraffes, et cetera. The, the giraffe pops up again. Yes. Uh, back then, they had, these programs that they had, were, they were stated, okay? And, and when you had a stated program, they were basically a VOE, VOR, VOD. So I don't even know what any of that means. So yeah. could you get into a little bit with the VOR? So stated programs was like, I'm going to trust that you're going to give me a verification of deposit and that your deposit is in the, is in the bank. I'm going to call your employer and see if you work there. Right. I, I'm going to call your landlord and see if you pay the, the, the rent on time. And, and unfortunately, 
a lot of these mortgage brokers had these boiler room operations where they had all these people answering phones pretending to be your employer and all this. Mm-hmm. And, and we got into a lot of trouble. I remember selling a two-family house uh, in, I forgot, it was in Providence, for $315,000 to a lady that only made $15,000 a year. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and I'm like, something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> did it, I'm assuming that didn't go through, or did it just go through? It, it, it went through, but <laughs> two years later, that house was up for, you know, it was and, a foreclosure. And then I come back into the market in 09, <laughs> and I'm buying these things at 30, 40, 50 cents on a dollar. The cheapest house I bought was one on Geneva, Geneva Street off of, um, uh, I don't know if that's Academy or what it is. And that house cost me Talk 20. Stone. Yeah, Talk, Talk Stone. Stone yeah. That cost me $29,000 for a two family. And all it was missing was, you know, the heating and the, and the boilers and all that. So, did you ever go back to the same property? Like, put one up on the market, have someone buy it, and then buy it back? No, no, I, I didn't. I unfortunately, none of those the 300, but I did buy like one right next door, one across the street. Is that, <laughs> would that be legal? Or is no, that, no, it's legal. You can buy it. Yeah, 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 you can so. buy it. Listen, I, I saw it to you, there's titled, if you lose in two, three years from now, I, I can buy that property again. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's nothing, you know, it's just that there was so much fraud back then with the mortgages itself, but being a contractor builder, I was just selling it. Hey, you know, yeah. I, I'm selling a property. You know, they, I'm getting paid at the closing, and that's it. My hands are clean. Are, are clean from it. You know, it's actually talking about Geneva Street. You actually bought my friend's house. It went on fire two years ago. I, yes. I knew it was you. I knew no. it was you because you, you said it. I'm like, no, it no. Has I, to be. I, I bought that one, but I also bought the one across the street. That that um, it, it's still there today. It's still the original house. Yeah, no, but I did buy the one that that burned down. down. I bought yeah. that one too, that and, my and best I, I knocked house. it down, and I. I we put the we put the uh, foundation on it. Like, yeah, with the uh, with the prints right. Yeah, it's it so. it unfortunate, but it's unfortunate. But then you know, there's something there's opportunities for everybody all the time. Yep. But so back in 08, so that go- happens then. So what are you doing during that time period when new bills just completely stop? That, are you like frantic?ing Are you like? You know, yeah, I was confused. I took off to Florida. I, I took off down there. For, I had a house down in Florida, so I was down there for about a, I don't know, close to a year, nine, ten, eleven months. I came back, and my partner, my business partner, and I decided that we wanted to get into these foreclosures, and that's when we bought. I believe we bought 12 of them, 11 to 12 of them uh, in 08 and 09, including that one on Geneva for 29000 So just so am I losing uh, the timeline here. So you come back 03, 05, Building. you're joint venturing with a whole bunch yep. of different people. Up Anybody, to 07. Everybody. It's so 07, 07, you decide, you know what, they're taking too much of a profit, let me go on my own. Start my own thing. No, no, we kept on going. We, we, you know, we kept on going because remember, a lot of these guys that I was uh, was uh, doing uh, JVing with, they had land, and I had the experience. So it, it was a marriage. You know, I'm putting up the house; they're giving up the lot. You know, we're split. You know, what he's getting what he's into the lot. I'm getting my work, and then we're splitting the profit. So it worked out really, really good. So that, that's really, really good. At that point, then you go to Florida with the crash. Yeah, I went to you Florida. And your, you and your partner go there and start doing work in Florida? Yeah, we. I think we took a line of credit on the on the plaza, the shopping center there, and we bought 12 houses. You know, we were buying them. Listen, he was a little afraid, and I'm telling him, his name was Joe. I said, Joe, how can you be afraid of buying a house for $29,000 or 59000 or 69000 I remember buying a, a two-family in Bristol for one hundred and ten grand. Wow. Okay, Bristol. So, you know, and I didn't want to be a landlord, mm-hmm. but that was the steps. You know, I, I, we fixed them up. We made them nice and we put people in them until the time to sell them again. And it didn't take long. About a year, a year and a half later, we started selling these. Not for the crazy prices, but we did make a profit. So you said you went to Florida. So why would you go to Florida? Because I started, again, I was younger. I didn't really go into history of this. So 
if it was it just in Rhode Island or was oh this was Florida? national this yeah, was national so why would you go to Florida and not just stick in Rhode Island I just I wanted to stay with okay. the time okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I was I had a little money you know I'm like I'm gonna go to Florida for a little bit you know not retire or anything like that just vacation yeah well kind of like you know what my next strategy gotcha. I got a plaza that's paying me good money every month uh, I'm not building any more houses so it's not like you know things are bad. And the twelve houses you bought twelve houses in Rhode Island or in yeah, Florida? Rhode Island. Oh, right. All all those those foreclosures were in Florida. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. So that's the next thing you buy the twelve houses, then then you start selling them one at a time. You start, you know, that was next step for you. Start yeah, selling them at one at a time. Start selling them one at a time, and uh, and we started. We you know we sold everything, and at that point, I took off to Brazil for about five years to go do some really big projects down there. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that well. But that'll be another story for another day. <laughs> <laughs> another story for another day. So you went to Brazil. When uh, was your return to the States? I came back in 15. The, the end of 15. The so end of 15. And then you started jumping right back into new builds. Right back in. And I started doing something that I saw that nobody was doing. I'm like looking at all these fire damage properties. And I'm like, and they were all like prices of lots. And I'm thinking to myself, why is nobody jumping on these things? You got a foundation, got the hooked up, you know, water and sewers connected. You got some of the house. I'm like, the prices were fantastic. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get into this little niche. And, and it worked out pretty good. I did about five or six of them. And the, then, uh, the way when you came back from Brazil, you did five, right six? Right back, yeah. right. Well, one at a time. But then I started getting two, three under my belt at a time. So how do you jump into that? Because that's, I'm assuming, a completely different animal beast opposed to new builds. and Or is it, is it similar to new builds? It, and guys, from Firehouse, we're talking about houses that obviously went on fire. and But um, not not completely. Like maybe like half the house or specific yeah. points of the house that went on fire. Yeah, it, it actually, it's more confusing when you look at it that way. It's easier. A new build is a lot easier. It's easier to get there and put the scoop in the ground, drop the foundation. And it's almost like it's a puzzle. With fire, it's not for you, anybody. You know, you got to know what you're looking at. You got to know what you're gonna save. You know, and um, I saved one around the corner here in Cranston um, about two, three years ago, um, and I was able to piece it just perfect. And when you do that, you're re you're not only recycling the house, but you're saving a lot of money because you already have a foundation in. That's mm -hmm. thirty thousand dollars that you save. You have water and sewer connection. That's another twenty grand. So right there, I already have fifty thousand dollars saved that I don't have to do to that house. I just got to look at it and, and uh, design it to where I bring it back together. And that's what I was doing. So how did you feel comfortable doing that? Just your experience with the new builds? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Just, you know, I, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time. I've got over 30 years of experience. So, um, you know, like, like the plaza. I didn't know how to build a plaza. I kind of jumped into that, you know, like unknown. And I, I still put it up in over a little over a year. And I was under budget. But I learned so much from it. It's kind of like you live and learn, you know. You Why did you go with a shopping plaza there instead of going with a multi-family complex or um, apartment complex? I should My say. My business partner uh, that came in on that deal, he had Price Right looking to go into Pawtucket, and they needed a, a facility. And they were looking around. They were looking around Newport Avenue, and they were looking around uh, Beverage Road and all that. And then um, I had found that liquor store it was it was Alonzo liquors it was mm -hmm. this, it, back then it was an old building sitting right in the middle of this two acre parcel and um and i kind of one day were together and like hey i got a contract under this thing here and he's like well i got price right so he called price right i got the guy to tie up the contract for like three four months while we were doing our due diligence and he gets a, a commitment letter from price right and now we're like holy shit, this might really happen <laughs> and next thing you know 
we put up a price right and we brought over 100 jobs into into Pawtucket. So hey, that's what that's, and that, that was great. And man. price right rents that or leases that building. That price right leases that for a long term. Um, I was able to get Dunkin' Donuts on a freestanding. Right. Then we bought the, the laundromat next door and I was able to expand the laundromat and put some more oh, yes. and put, um, I believe, the it, Little Caesars. Yeah, little yeah Caesars a little right liquor there. store. There was an old pharmacy there before. That pharmacy left, and I believe now there's a, some kind of a cellular store or something. Yeah. Like that. So, and that was a triple net lease. For people that don't know what triple net lease is, I, we were the owners of the property, but we didn't pay taxes. We didn't do snow shovel. We didn't do anything because the leases that we had were triple net. That means that they had to take care of everything. They had to pay the taxes. They had to. So you pay, just collect your check. Every, every I month. just every month I didn't have to get out of bed. It was great. That's crazy. Yeah, that's there are different types of leases out there. So if you guys ever want to go and have that conversation, yeah, that's for another day. But it's another day. It's another day. So that point, so now you're into new uh, firehouses. Firehouses. So that must be a little, uh, you know, to speaking on like the human side of it. Do you feel bad at all? Just for like, it was a little tough, or what's your thoughts on just dealing with that type of uh, tough? It's tough. Speaking on my friend, he's cool with this. He's open about it. You know, I was there like the the morning after his house went on fire, and he's just being swarmed with adjusters. Everyone's trying to talk to him. He's like, "Dude, I'm trying to like comprehend. My house just went on fire." He's upset at that point. But again, like going back to like we said before, there's something for everybody. You know, it's an opportunity for somebody. At the end of the day, so like being in that you know field, how's that? You know, just dealing with the personal side of people. It's the toughest thing. Um, you know, I walk in and you see wedding albums and you see family portraits and you see babies clothes and toys it's it's hard to deal with you know it is you know it's everybody's personal belongings are everywhere you know and they didn't even have time to collect this stuff you know this is a fire the firemen come in with their hoses everything is getting wet you can't really save anything you mm-hmm. know so it is tough i mean you have to you gotta have a stomach for it you know but if you don't do it someone else is someone else is so yeah so you get to that point you're doing a couple so how long well I know you still are, um, you know, dab your feet into it. So, um, be strictly just firehouses, how long were you doing that for? And then what was the transition after the fire damaged houses? I was doing fire damaged houses up to right before COVID kicked in. You know, once COVID kicked in and um, things kind of got slow, you know, and um, then the, the government went ahead and zero the interest rate and got the economy stimulated, thank God, right? Right. Um, at that point, unfortunately, inventory started to decline. And we all see that. Mm-hmm. So uh, people ask me today, Rick, is there any good deals? There probably is, but you really got to go look for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, to look at the MLS, it's kind of like a shot in the dark. It really is. You know, you, you, you're out there and you got all these other investors that are looking for the same deal that you're looking for. So that's why I say Talk to people that at work or family members. Find out if someone's like losing their house. Get personal, man. People don't like to talk about it, but get personal. You know, everybody knows I'm looking for a house. They'll, they'll call me, you know, cousins, uncle, sisters, brother. Hey, you want to come by and take a look at my house? Again, out of 20, you might not get one, but there's always that one that's going to pop up, and, and that's the one that you got to be ready for. You know? Yeah. When you're saying that, so. Inventory that everyone else is looking for. Are you speaking of multis? Are you speaking of fire damage Everything. houses? Are you talking about oh, everything? Yeah, land, lots. You know, sometimes your 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 aunt might have a big house and she might have a buildable lot. You know, um, you just gotta you gotta do your homework. Talk to friends. Talk to family members. 
let them know. Make little business cards. Go on the Craigslist. I buy houses. Whatever you got to do to expose yourself out there, you know, and, uh, and you're going to get that phone call eventually. You know, you just got to be patient. I remember when I got done with a deal and I'd have this pocket full of money and i look for the next deal and a month or two months would go by and I'd get nervous. But I never pulled the trigger on something that I had questions on. Mm-hmm. So be patient. You wait two months, you finally get that right house, and guess what happens? Then your phone rings like literally the next day, and you got another deal. You just got to be patient. Don't buy a house just to buy a house. Do your homework. Do you think a lot of people fall into that trap where they're like, I need to do something now. Like, yeah, I got this yeah. money now. Let me do it now. Yeah. They, they get really anxious, you know, which like I did, and look what happened to me. You know, I bought a condemned piece of property. So, you know, do your homework, and, um, you know, once you do that and, and you, you got everything uh, – you know, your, your T's crossed and your I's dotted, then you make, the, you make the step, you make the move. Is it the same process for fire damage houses? Like how, because I don't, you don't see those on Zillow or MLS. So how would you go about, if someone was in the rebuild game, which I'm sure you've been in, how do you come across the fire damage properties? Um, I, ha- I did find some of them on the MLS. Oh, really? Yeah, I did find some of them on the MLS. Oh, we don't have that anymore. Yeah, yeah. Well, because everybody's looking at those deals. So so what you do is you you kind of reach out to public adjusters, you know, and, and friends in the insurance and, and find out if there's, you know, hey, any any foreclosures out there that I can, you know, any fire damage, anything like that. And, and they'll, yeah, I do. I have something. But again, like, like we were talking, the market, it's a seller's market right now. Uh, it should be a buyer's market, hopefully, pretty soon here. But right now, it's still a seller's market. So it's tough to find a good deal, especially on MLS today. Yeah, it's a deep seller's market right now. It's, uh, houses are still on the market for like 1.5 months before they're right. off. So We're so, going to get up to like three before it switches to neutral. I was just about to ask, so what transitions a market from a seller's to a buyer's market? Uh, supply and demand. So if you have a, a large group of buyers and there's um, only one house... Um, that's your seller's market. Um, if you have a large group of properties available and one buyer, that's a buyer's market. The buyer can pick and choose what they want and wherever they can get the best deal, then boom, they go. So the sellers are begging for the buyer's attention. Buyer's market, flip. Um, sellers, um, buyers looking to get a house like they just did in COVID where everyone's scrambling, paying. I think in Massachusetts, the highest deal we've seen during COVID was $200,000 over in cash. And the property was $700,000. <laughs> so, Rick, you just made that confess. So, yeah. what's your thoughts when you see someone do that? I, you know, it's tough because you don't want to be upside down on, on a property. And I've seen so many people upside down. You know, they really want that house bad. I, I don't think that the economy is going to change to where we're going to have a big reduction on pricing. I think it's going to kind of get stable. But it's not going to be right now. Like Jonathan's saying, you still have... Uh, more buyers uh, than sellers. The only way that's going to change when you see an inventory of over 1,000, 1,200, 1,300 houses in AMLS in Rhode Island. Right. Then you're going to know that, hey, now it becomes, uh, you know, a buyer's market, you know, uh, a seller's market or a buyer's, you know, it, it, you just got to keep an eye on things, you know. And uh, and don't, I don't know if we're going to see anything like going over $200,000. I don't think that's going to happen again. Right. It's crazy. And this but, is all December 2020 to right now um data that we're talking about like um 
the number of properties that so the ratio of sellers to buyers right now is similar to what it was during covid except we don't have nearly as many properties available we're putting up about 315 this past week and usually it's been about 375 to 415 properties new coming to the market and then three quarters of those go off market this past week i think because of thanksgiving christmas coming up so on and so forth um only 100 properties went off market 100 and change out of the 315 that went on so there, there's that little bit of a slowdown but i think it's more of a holiday thing than yeah a market shift i think the what we were talking about this earlier when we're really going to see the market what's happening is going to be q1 q2 of next year 2023 when it becomes a buyer's market though how does someone as use me me for example for this um compared to the investor here how would the buyer come out and get a property before the investor does so like so what wouldn't the investor want to buy as much property as he possibly can when it becomes a buyer's market opposed we don't have that many investors like that where they're just scrambling taking up everything they're just taking the best of the best deals um when they can find them and they have to be also connected to the right realtors or the right folks like it's all about like he was saying your network um, so some folks might have a better network than others. They can get to these things quicker, but there's still always deals flying up there. Like I just sold a house in um, Connecticut for $200,000, a three family, 1,300 square feet per unit. Um, actually, it was a two family with an illegal third, but uh, it's two, 1,300 square feet per floor, two beds, two baths per floor. And um, it was hard to find a buyer over there, which is really weird in my opinion. But, um, but I mean, there's still properties out there that are like that. That are, that are like little cash cows. This one, I still think it should have went for way more, but. Yeah. When you see something like that, Rick, do, do those type of properties intrigue you? Like if say had John had brought that to your attention, are you going to give it the time of day? You're going to go look at it or is Connecticut is too far? Is it not on your radar or is everything always on your plate? Everything's on my plate as long as it's a deal. You know, I, I, I gotta, I don't want to use the word steal it, but I, I gotta get a good deal. And then I got to look at it and say, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to keep this for short term? Am I going to keep this for long term? I got to figure out an exit strategy with it. Mm -hmm. And um, in, in this case with Jonathan's, because the place, I don't know, it sounds like a cash cow. It sounds like a long term. Uh, but being in Connecticut and all that, it probably wouldn't work for me. It's far away. Yeah. But for someone like a young investor, someone who, you know, who wants to kind of like move into it and become a landlord instead of like renting something. Yeah, man, not go for it. Go for it, you know. If you could deal with the commute in Connecticut and, and you work in Providence or whatever, if it's worth it for you and you can, you know, get a good deal, go for it, man. Because you're not going to find a $200,000 income property in, in, in anywhere in Providence. And each of those floors would are going to be able to produce like $1,400 a floor, if not $1,500. And that means at $200,000, you are basically paying your mortgage with one floor. One, and, and you still have two more. So that's three grand in a, in a sense in your pocket every single month. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to, to see that that, you know, to get into a, a deal like that is worth it. You got to commute, though. People are commuting from Mass to Rhode Island and vice versa. So, you know, Rhode Islanders are going to realize that if it's too expensive for them here, go over to the neighboring area of Connecticut, you know. You know, for sure. I just want to make sure we finish the real Rick Rigo story, though. So <laughs> the fire damages, you came back. Now you're still definitely in it so is there the final chapter now is it now like what you're doing is that jump steps from that yeah I, i'm going to probably i got a couple more years in this new construction i mean i think this year alone i probably put up 14 15 16 houses i don't know one it seems like it's one a month maybe two a month um plus i'm doing a lot of insurance plus i'm doing a lot of remodels plus i'm doing a lot of additions so 
you know, I usually keep between 12 and 14 jobs going, you know, at one time. So you're saying uh, you're doing insurance. So when someone can you give an explanation to that, just someone does an insurance job yeah, or something? That's what happens. So I am dealing with some, some insurance companies and a, a couple of adjusters. Um, and they'll call me up because someone doesn't have anyone to do the work. And I'll look at the estimate and I'll, I'll, I'll figure out if it's worth it for me or not. And I come in and, I'm, you know, I usually probably do a couple of a month. You know? How does how do you get involved with the insurance companies? Is this your reputation at this point? Okay, or do you did you reach out to the insurance companies to get involved with them? No, no. They, the the adjusters will reach out to me, uh, saying that the uh, the client is looking for a contractor, and uh, I'll meet up with the client. We'll go over the estimate, you know, and uh, we'll come to an agreement, and then um, and we start work. And then at that point, the insurance company they usually send a check to them. Or they'll send a check to me, or they'll send a check to the mortgage company, and and they'll sign it and send it over to the adjust. I mean, to the uh, owner, and then they, I get paid at the end. So there's various ways of doing it. But your reputation has to be high up there to be being yeah. referred to. That's by why the real yeah. Rick Rigo. <laughs> insurance insurance jobs pay well, you know. Uh, in the contrary, they do pay very well, uh, but you gotta wait to get paid. Yeah. You know. You have to put a lot of the funds. Yeah, so I got to put up my money. I got to put up sometimes, you know, like if I do a kitchen, a kitchen remodel, it might be a twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar job. I got to put that money up. So my labor materials has to go up, and then in thirty, sixty days, I get the check from the insurance mm. company. So you're saying that you did 15, 16 houses this year alone. Yeah. So how does someone even have the capacity to do that? Are you having multiple teams? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I have about two framing comp- crews. I have a couple of vinyl guys. I tend to have two of everything just for a backup. Doesn't mean I'm going to use both of them at the same time. I usually do. But if I don't, I kind of like pick and choose who's perfect for that job, and I, and I fit them into that project. Because some guys like to just stay with new construction. Other plumbers like to go into remodels, smaller, smaller little jobs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Is that the life of the, like a contractor, the general contractor? You're basically... Seeing, like you just said right now, just seeing who's best for what. You're kind of like the coach or everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm what they call an armchair contractor. I don't, you know, <laughs> you're not going to see me walking around with a tube belt. <laughs> I did my first house, but I promised that I wasn't going to do it again. The condemned house? <laughs> yeah, no, no. The, the, new, the little shotgun, little shotgun I made about 50,000 went on, uh, off of Edgemere. Um, I just had to feel, I had to do it. I had to know, you know, mm-hmm. the concept. And, and you can't get it any better than actually having hands on. You know, and, and you put this thing together and you're picking up trusses and you're, you're hanging sheetrock, man. It's tough. And that's why I have to, I have to respect the trade. I, I respect the trade. These guys are, you know, they're out there. It doesn't matter if it's winter. Like right now, it's cold outside, right? Snow. These guys went to work today, you know? Right. Yeah, so if you guys do need some work, he's got his schedule jam-packed. But his Instagram is right here, the real Rick Rigos. Make sure he got two teams He's loaded, but he, check his Instagram out. He has all his proof in the pudding right there. And for someone who is looking into a general contractor, what tips and tricks do you have for to weed out the good ones and the bad ones coming from someone who's built over 300-plus houses? Um, always check with the state, state board. Uh, grab their license number, go in the state board, put it in, and find out they're even registered, okay? <laughs> Sometimes you'd be surprised they're not even registered. Then once you know they're registered, make sure their insurance is on, in, in time. I mean, you got to make sure that they have insurance. And How always, do you, do that? Um, insur- you ask them for an insurance certificate. And then call the carrier or call the agent and say, hey, uh, is, is this, is this uh, legit. insurance legit? You know, 
and, and make sure they have the insurance, everything's there. And, and once you have that, ask for three references, man. It doesn't hurt. Tell them you want to drive by their work. You know, even my subs today, I kind of weed them out, man. I, I'm not just going to hire a plumber because he's a plumber. I'm going to hire a guy that is, you know, comes in highly recommended from another contractor. Remember, in this business, you can't hire a retail plumber. You can't hire a retail and, uh, electrical because you're a contractor. You're an investor. You need to make money. So you're going to hire someone who's, who's going to wholesale you prices because if you're going to pay the retail, you're going to pay everything retail. Guess what happens at the end? There's no profit. So you'll be out quick. So get the person you work with, have a relationship with them. Um, you know, nothing's easy. It's got to be a marriage. Nothing's easy. The first, I, I remember going through plumbers a couple of years ago. Like, I felt like every other two months I was going through a plumber. Same thing with an excavator. These guys come in, they do a bad job. And, and now you got an issue. Now you got a problem. So you got to know how to deal with that, you know. Mm -hmm. For those new bills, flips, multifamily, I know an uncle, my, my friend's uncle, he'll do it for the cheap. Is cheaper better or would you recommend people, you know, no. go with the... No, I, I usually like to go get three, get three estimates and look at them real. I usually go with the middle one, not the high one, not the bottom one, the middle one. If, if the, the, the cheaper one sounds good, then fine, go with it. But do your homework. People hear cheap and they automatically think it's it's a good deal. Cheap working, good, and good working cheap. Yeah. I, I tell you what, I went with cheap. You know, I, I'm not going to lie. I went with cheap and I have always learned that when you go with cheap, you, you pay more. Pay twice. Yep. You pay the first time and then you pay the second time to get it right. So cheap doesn't mean it's going to be right. Yeah, no, for sure. So, just doing that stuff right now. So that's what you do. Would you recommend someone who's new into the game? You're saying right now, Q1, Q2 is what it's looking like. We can't tell the future. We don't know. But someone who's a new investor into the game, do you have any recommendations, Rick, to what they should would get into? What are you telling someone who has, let's just say, hypothetically, they have 100000 to invest. What, you know, being a, you know, a student in the game, been in it for 30 years. What are you telling someone who's brand new into the game? You got to be cautious, man. You know, you got $100,000. That's $100,000. That's a lot of money. You got to be cautious. You got to do your homework. You got to do your due diligence. Um, don't rush. You know, again, it is a seller's market. There's not a lot of deals. I heard this, that first and second quarter of next year, we might have some of those foreclosures coming back in that were done through COVID, you know? Mm -hmm. A lot of government programs, a lot of people, there was a lot of money out there. I heard that there's going to be a list of foreclosures. Be patient, man. Be patient. I tell this to everybody. Everybody's calling me every day. I get about three, four calls every day. Rick, what do you think of this deal? Rick, what do you think of that deal? Once I do the numbers, they're not good deals, you know? It's just people trying to sell junk that they can't sell to anybody else, and they act like it's a good deal. Um, so be patient, man. You know, if you're not going to get it this year, wait until next year. Just don't jump into something that, that you're going to shoot yourself in the foot and next you know you don't have your house or $100,000 anymore. Right. You know? Do you ever think, I mean, I guess both of you guys can answer this, do you think it's ever too late to join the real estate game? Never too No, late. because at the end of the day, and we said this at the last one as well, um, rent is always 100% interest. You're never seeing another dollar of that back. At least a mortgage, you have the, the luxury of building equity. And making the money back that you did put into the house. So you buy the house at $100,000. You pay off $20,000 of it. You go and put it back up on the market for $100,000. You go and do your rent. Go for a year at $1,500 a month. 
let's say $2,000 a month to make the numbers easy. That's $24,000. You never see that back again. And the $24,000 at the end of the day is a really good down payment for a $350,000 home at 3.5%, yeah. including your closing costs. So that's like multifamily though and owning a house. Do you think it's ever too late to join the flip and new build game? No, if you have a good deal in front of you, you jump at it. You don't, you don't wait. And then you call, hire someone like Rick to go and get it done. Hire me to negotiate it. So that's what we're all here for, baby. But yeah, so do you think it's too late to get into that multifamily game? Would you wait? And part two, do you think it's ever too late to get into the new build and flip game? No, no. I mean, it, it, it's there's one thing I've, I've learned in life. There's two things you got to do. You got to eat and you need a roof over your head. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I always look at that. So everybody will always need a roof over your head. I think today we have, what, 7.8 billion people in this world. They're talking about... 10 billion by 2050. So that only means one thing, housing, housing, housing. And one thing about New England, especially this area, Rhode Island, a lot of these houses here, as you guys know, they're old houses. Yeah. They're over 100 years old. So they're always going to need work. They're, you know, people don't have the money to, to put into repairs. So they're going to want to sell it. Uh, they're expanding. You know, we're expanding to areas that have land. They're going to be putting new houses up. So you just got to be patient. Um, I look at it this way. I always look at the deal that I'm getting into in the worst case scenario. If I can deal with the worst case scenario, I'm buying the property. When I was young, I looked at the best case scenario. And guess what? The best case scenario was never, ever there. It was always the worst case scenario. I thought I was going to make $30,000 profit. I ended up making $10,000 profit after three months. Was it worth it? No. I should have got a job at McDonald's. You know, that's what I'm talking about. You just got to wait for the opportunity. Look at the deal. And, and, and what's the worst case scenario? You don't sell it. Do you want to be a landlord? Can you deal with collecting rents? If you can't do that, then don't get into the deal and wait mm -hmm. for another one to come up. Or throw it my way. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So do you ever think like, so you're saying wait, but do you think sometimes people can wait too long and then they kind of get scared? They don't ever get into that deal. Do you see people fall into that trap though? We call them the, the, proc the procrastinators. <laughs> I get a phone call and they always got this good deal. And I'm like, go for it go for it and they don't go for it so it how do you where's a feet. where's a happy line there where's a happy medium in that then like don't well, go too fast but then it don't take too long how it, where if, if if it's a concrete deal what i notice is with good great deals they're not going to be there too long mm -hmm. literally like 24 hours maybe 12 hours so once you do your homework unfortunately you need somebody that has experience because the young guy is not going to know if it's a good deal or a bad deal so if he has someone that he trusts and they, and they say hey it's a good deal. I'm doing the comps on it. You got $100,000 in equity, or you're going to make $3,000 a month after you pay your mortgage and, and, and all your expenses. These are good deals. Jump on it. But they, they, they're young. They're procrastinating. They don't know. They're scared. And guess what happens? Someone else comes in and takes the deal. I think with, with this game, though, too, it's like a... sometimes people who are young, they're like, who can I really, really trust? And then maybe they're just like, you know what? This person's trying to screw me over. You hear one story. It could be a fake story. They believe it. Just, um, yeah, I think that's you know, probably a lot of people's fear. They still don't want to lose money. And it's a lot of people, as we've talked about before in previous podcasts you've been on, you know, um, it, it can meet a lot where they don't want to lose that 100000 they have, and then they never make that move. And, um, you know, me, I think you just have to make that move. But I think that's a lot of people's fear is uh, that fear of failing. Well, I mean, if you're going to be afraid of failing, then partner up with people that are experienced like Rick and so on. Um, 
people that have been there before and then JV it. It means joint venture it. So they have skin in the game as well. If they're going to screw you over, then they're going to screw it over themselves. And if they've got enough uh, belief in it, then they're going to put their money where their mouth is and they're going to do it. Um, so, I mean, th there's other options out there outside of just being fearful and running away. Um, in addition to that, it's we spoke about this on our first podcast, which was um, we all have the same opportunities running in front of us all the damn time. The problem is, is that we're not educated on how to read those properties when they do cross our path. So go out there to biggerpockets.com. Go find yourself a, a realtor um, that's out there doing investments and doing things in, in the real estate world that's not doing one or two a year, but they're selling multiple. Um, they're working with all the right people. They have contractors. They have builders. Um, they have the network that you need in order to be successful. Their focus is you and not themselves. Um, those kind of people are the people that you want to surround yourself with and and build up that network. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing, too, is hearing someone tell the harsh, the the cool side of it. Oh, I did this. I'm selling over 300 houses overall. But then the people have the, I guess, like the, um, the, the I guess, <laughs> I'm trying to think of the word. Um, experience experience well honesty to say the bad things has happened because mm. you went through you went through a couple of things where you said the bad side of it because most people who are trying to rob you or take advantage of you they're going to tell you the good things that's happened never yeah. the bad things yeah. and um and we can go on forever i know you have a billion stories but didn't you have a time too where you know you felt scared and you you kind of panicked and sold those houses where you kind of regret it now yeah so this this was probably right around the time that covid kicked in COVID kicked in, mm -hmm. I believe it was January of 2020. Remember right? we were the, talking at that time. The, the, the president kind of like closed down everything, the flights and everything. I had over 20-something lots, and I had two developments, one on Alaska Street and one on the corner of Hudson and Mesa. And <laughs> I had a, I was ready to roll, man. I was ready to go. I had, I took about two years to get all these lots together. I was buying them for like a song and dance. And COVID kicks in, right? And I panicked. I panicked because I saw... You know, the savings and loan crisis of the late 80s. I saw the 90s um, uh, credit union uh, issues. I saw 2008, the mortgage meltdown. And I'm thinking to myself, here it is, 2020, it's the end of the world. Right? Yeah. So I blow all, I, I'm selling everything out. And then right before the government lowered that interest rates to zero. And then at that point, boom, 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 boom. The, you know, I mean, I made money selling everything, but, but I not probably left about have. three to four. I'd say between three and five million dollars on the table by low unloading all my real estate lots. I was bringing that up just because you've been in the game for a long time, thirty plus years. You said, and even at this time, you still make mistakes. Okay. Everyone's gonna make mistakes. You gotta make those mistakes to get into the game. Mm -hmm. So don't be scared. Don't be fearful because even those with who have well experience in the game makes mistakes. It's bound to happen. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're, all, we're all human, man. It's, it's like you know, I don't have a crystal ball. Right. And um, just go with your gut. You know, don't uh, be embarrassed to ask. You know, even I today, I might ask, you know, a question or two to other investors mm -hmm. that are in the game. They say, hey, what do you think? You know, what, 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 what do you think? I should, you know, and they'll give you uh, an honest, you know, opinion on what they think. It doesn't mean you got to go with it. Right. But talk to people, man. Get out there. Don't hold it all inside and, 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 and do it on your own, especially if you don't have the um, experience. Yeah. 
I'm going to go a little deep on people right now. Um, so not as of today's school system, but previous school systems, we were all raised, a lot of us were raised in a very W2 mindset, uh, this idea of um, that we're going to have to work in factories and be in this chain. And when you're working in a chain, you think these things are here, uh, which way is the camera going? Boom, 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 boom. If one of these things fail, the whole chain falls apart. And so you were taught at a very young age when um, you were in school and when you were going to your W2 jobs that failure is something horrible. You have to be perfect every damn day. You got to show up and you got to do what you're supposed to do. Um, so people would dummy themselves down and stick to some bare core set of skills that they had that they could just do perfect every single day out of the fear of failure. In the entrepreneurial world, in the world where you're building things and such, you actually leverage those failures as your real life lessons so that way you can do better. So really what the new goal is, is to fail small, um, to try to, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like manage your failures, manage what the risk is, manage what the, the loss is going to be. So that way, if something does go wrong, you, you, you can recover easily, uh, but it doesn't drive you down into the ground. So don't be afraid of failure. Um, Rick's still failing. I fail every damn day with something stupid. Um, but uh, you just got to keep pushing forward. You got to keep, I was speaking to um, uh, a friend of the family who was an attorney the other day. And uh, he was telling me that he's faced some stuff. Like he's been through things and I was just like, how do you get through it? How do you show up every single day and go through all this stuff? Because he's a very accomplished man and a very well-established man. Uh, someone I've always kind of looked up to. He doesn't know this yet. But um, but uh, he's like, you just got to keep driving forward. You can't be afraid. You can't slow down. You just got to keep pushing forward. So that's that's my little thing with that. It's about how you recover. It's about you recover yeah. from those, you know, tower time, like those troubled times for sure. It's out of curiosity to me, this is nothing, everything to do with what we're talking about, but have you never thought about getting to like those crazy like high rises like in Florida or those massive condominiums and those like is like that a whole different ball game? Yeah, it's it's a different ball. You, you, you big time developers. I'm not saying that I I can't get into it. I just you know I didn't go back to Florida after I got back here in two thousand and two two thousand three. I I didn't you know I bought a house in Florida, but it was a vacation home. I haven't done any investments. But here, I wouldn't be afraid to. I'd get into anything. Is there a difference from like those new build like condominiums? You know what I'm talking about, like the new ones, like those. They're charging like three thousand dollars a month. Is those a difference from Florida to Rhode Island to Connecticut, or they're all kind of like the same thing, just in different states? Same thing, different state. Mm -hmm. High end is high end, low end. You know, I built affordable housing. I built a ton in Pawtucket. I built a ton of condos, high end condos, uh, the ones over at Springwater, off of Cottage. Uh, I built a, a lot of them there, McCoy Stadium. Um, you know, it's a little bit more work, right, than, than a, putting up a single family. It's just a bigger project. Bigger project means bigger profits, but right. bigger headaches, bigger everything, bigger risks. You, you just got to go on your comfort level. I wouldn't suggest a novice investor to go into, a, you know, anything big. Start small. Right. Start with that small little single family, maybe even a two family. Fail small. Yeah, fail small so you can get back on your feet and do it again. But... Don't quit. I don't believe in quitting. I don't believe in luck. Uh, I just believe in hard work, man. Right. Hard work and work smart. Work smart more than you work hard, you know? So is that your message to anybody? Anybody and everybody's getting in. Find that wholesale deal. Once you get that wholesale deal and you make a few bucks and you feel good about yourself, you're going to have money in your pocket. You're going to be able to go into, you know, something now where you can do a fixer-up or, or, or buy a long-term property where you're going to hold and, and, and collect rent and, and help supplement your income, you know? How about you, uh, John? Any words, anybody new coming into the game, kind of just what Rick said, or do you have any different advice, anybody coming into the, you know, the real estate game? 
I'm going to be repetitive. Um, it's all the same thing. It's get smart. Um, go in there and don't be afraid to start. Don't wait till things are perfect. Uh, all these phones out here that we're working with, they started with uh, an iPhone 1 or um, a Samsung. Um, Motorola V300, my first Motorola yeah. phone. But but like right now we're an iPhone 11, right? Or 12, 14, or 14. 14. See, I'm not an iPhone <laughs> yeah, guy. Yeah, we're, we're not up to the technology. Yeah, one, one day in the next four years, you guys will get one of these. So, <laughs> oh, where's the camera? Boom. So um, anyways, uh, what do you call it? So it, it all starts with the first version and they don't wait till perfection because if they waited till the iPhone 14, they were ready for that. We would have never had the iPhone one or anything like this at all. So you got to start somewhere and just get going. Like I said, create your network, build up um, your group of people um, and just move slowly. Like Rick didn't start by like doing tile work right off the back. He was going in just painting houses and getting a feel of the layout, getting a feel um, of what that genetic makeup is of the property. And then when he felt a little more comfortable, he went to the next level and the next level. Um, I myself have done that with my own houses where my first house was a water tank. I ended up doing it. It only cost, uh, ended up making $100,000 off of that house. Um, it was freaking awesome. Uh, the next house was uh, getting rid of like wood paneling and painting um, and maybe a little bit of plumbing work. And I also fixed the furnace in that one as well. YouTube, thank God for that. Um, and it's just grown from there to the the last house that I did, which was a 4,300 square foot house. And I was able to walk through the entire thing. I predicted everything that was going to go wrong and break down um, ahead of time. And I should have made 400 off of that one. But wow. my previous situation, as we all know about, cut me out about $200,000 mm -hmm. on that one because we waited till after COVID. <sighs> yeah, listen, we make them. Yeah. Make mistakes even in 2020 so and of the podcast low. what is your best best memory of a house that i guess your worst memory of a house that you thought was going to be easy peasy and it just was not what you thought of at all and it was just a shit show my first house <laughs> <laughs> right i mean i can't get any worse than that right that's the Yo, one that's the answer right there how many 17 year olds are going to sue the u.s government you know that department of va i mean like and when know, and win. And well, win. It wasn't even, we didn't even go to trial, but the, the good thing is I won and it, it, it gave me confidence. I think that's, I think today, today's uh, uh, kids or young adults that are going to get into the business, they need to have confidence. Don't be afraid. Mm. Don't let them see you sweat. Because if they see you sweat, they are going to, even if you don't know what you're talking about, usually just keep your mouth shut so you don't get into trouble. Fake it till you make it. Fake it until you make it. I think yeah. that was also from Godfather Part 1. I, I have don't I let don't him remember see you sweat. Yeah, yeah <laughs> probably is. I, I heard yeah. it somewhere, but but yeah, fake. You know, and I'm not saying fake until you make it in a bad way. I'm just saying fake until you make it. Don't let them see you sweat because yep. mm -hmm. you know, people think that investors out there are gonna give you a hand. No one gave me a hand, man. Mm -hmm. No one's ever given me a hand. Very rare to anybody give you a hand. Yeah. They'll be your business partner, but business is business. Mm -hmm. okay? No one's gonna be. Oh, I feel bad for you. I'm gonna give you more for you. Nothing like that. So, just. Do your thing, man, and, and um, if you don't know what's going on, get expert advice from someone that you trust, parent, uncle, someone who's in the game, and, and don't feel shy. Say, hey, I, I'm, I'm, this is the situation I'm in. What should I do? You know, And don't just get it from one person. Try to get it from two, three people. You know, um, Just so you don't, because I didn't have anybody when I was 17. I was too embarrassed to talk yeah. to my stepfather. I was too, you know, there was no um, investor clubs to go to. I had to do it on my own, man. Today, no. Today, I can Google anything and find out, you know. Um, and lawyers too, right? Always reach out to a lawyer too if you don't feel comfortable. 
Yeah, it, it just you know, just do your homework, man. Just you know, three hundred. Uh, sorry. No, no, that, that's basically you know, just do your homework. Three hundred plus houses. What was your favorite experience that you had? Favorite one? Anything sentimental to you, which can you can uh, think about? My first one. <laughs> first one. Second. I, I, and, second and, and, my first new build, because I made fifty thousand dollars, and this was uh, two thousand and three. So fifty thousand dollars in two thousand three—that's a lot of money, you know. Mm. Uh, that's like a hundred thousand dollars today. So that right there gave me so much energy, so much confidence that at that point it was like literally like just JVing, buying lots. You know, I, I was one of the first builders going into uh, South Providence in '02-'03. Everybody was like, "Oh no, that's too dangerous or too," you know. I'm like, everybody needs a house. So I would go in and put up a house and make a decent profit. You know, right. you know, you couldn't go wrong back then. And then once we got to '05, the peak, the peak of the housing market where people were overpaying. And again, like we're saying, people with stated incomes that didn't qualify for that house, um, we were making a lot of money. There was a lot of money nice. that was being made there. So that was your that was your, your favorite experience coming into 2023. Yeah, 05. Uh, 05, yeah, yeah, 05. Coming into 2023, what should we expect from the Rick Real Rego? I'm going to keep on going. Um, no one really knows this, but I am building again back in Brazil. Oh really? Yeah, I, I got. I'm probably gonna put some content out there. I've been really quiet, really secretive. There's some big things happening in Brazil, nice. and I'll be concentrating in Brazil um, and in the U.S. So, but um, EG Pot Thunder exclusive right there, baby. <laughs> so I, I, um, I, I got some big things in Brazil for 2023. Sound for that one. <laughs> oh, we got some fireworks going on. Hey, for the Brazil, baby. As you get it for the real Rick Rigo coming back to Brazil. Nós estamos no Brasil de volta. Yeah, so we're, we're going to do that. And I'm going to concentrate on, on keep on doing uh, what I do here in Rhode Island. Um, commercial, residential, uh, insurance. And, um, you know, once you get to a point in your life where, you know, you want to call it quits and it's time to walk away. Then, then that's what I'm gonna do. But right now, I'm not there yet. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm having too much fun. Remember, you gotta love what you do. I love real estate. I eat, sleep, and everything else. Real estate. Uh, there's nothing else that I can imagine doing. That's why he's out here late at night nice doing a podcast here. about real estate. Yeah, I, I mean, I love this. You know, and and the money's great. I'm not gonna lie to you. The money is fantastic. But I love to hand people a set of keys to a first-time home buyer and watch that person get emotional. Um, you know, the money's great, but. It's even better when you see kids going in and, and picking their bedrooms. And I mean, I love that. I love it. I'm sure you're driving by everywhere and you're like, that was me. That I, was me. I just that drove by today <laughs> on my way over here. And I looked at my wife and said, I built that house right there. You know? <laughs> there's, a, there's a meme on that. Like, I did that house. I did that house. I mean, literally, I go down Providence and like every other street, there's there's a house that I, I have something to do with. And that's great. It's, a, it's something I leave for my kids and my grandkids in, the, you know, in 20, 30 years from now. They'll drive down and say, my, 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 my dad built that plaza. My dad built that house. Mm -hmm. I've done some big stuff. So um, If I was a builder, I'd put something some, everywhere. Every house, that's like, it's for me. Well, well here's the good news. Somewhere. Here's the good news. Right? In about 100 years from now, I'll get that historical plaque. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they got John Henry. They'll have a plaque for me, hopefully, right? Oh, Rick, like Real Rick Rigo. <laughs> the, the famous historical plaques. I've been working on them, and I look at these names like John Hicks, and, and I'm like, who was this guy? 200. 250 years You ever ago. do anything to like leave your thumbprint on these properties? That's what I'm saying. Properties? If that was me, I, 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 I was a little corny back in 03 when I started building. I would go to the corner of the foundation and literally put my initials RR. 
That's what I was just saying. Yeah. Was, <laughs> uh, yeah. I stopped doing that a long time ago. Uh, maybe after like 10, 12 houses, I'm like, okay, I can't do this all the time. You know? <laughs> so for 2023, what should we expect from the Bolano team? Uh, Bolano team is uh, growing. There's a lot of different things that are happening right now. I'm a little more on the quiet side with all that, but um, we're, we're growing out. So we're at eight people right now. There's going to be more. Um, the goal is to max out at 10, but if the right folks pop up, obviously we won't stop them. Um, we're working on, I don't know, a lot of different things. I, I really can't get into it too much cause it's still at the beginning stages. Um, but it's, it's going to be a big year where we're looking to hit different numbers than we've ever hit before. Um, and the people that are on the team, they're, they're busting their ass. They're working hard. They're showing up every single day to all the meetings to learn, to grow. Um, and I can honestly say that some of the folks that are on my team that are like three, four months in probably have the mindset of people that have been doing this for about two years or so because of how much training and how much work we do together. So um, to 2023, given the market doesn't blow up on us, um, it's going to be a big year. Love to see it. Yeah, make sure you tap in with the Bolano team. Well, Bolano team on Instagram, JonathanBolano.com. Make sure you follow my guy, all these great stories, experience in the game, the real Rick Rigo. If you have any questions, he's a guy who's well-informed. He, mm -hmm. is, he loves doing this. I first met him at a workshop, so he definitely likes to give back to people who are interested. Definitely always reach out for any type of questions. Make sure you follow me on Instagram, ExploreFF, EG, Pot of Thunder, and all social medias, YouTube. Send us to the moon, baby. Let's get it. Make sure you get that five-star review and follow my guys. Thank you.